Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to this uh, session on healthcare. Um, so we've got two very exciting sessions uh, planned for this slot. Um, the first one is uh, our president, Rosanne De Silva, uh, and Sarika Bassessa, uh, and they'll be talking about universal health coverage. Um, I, I don't need to introduce Roseanne, I don't think. If I do, then that's a problem. <laughs> um, Sarika is an, uh, a healthcare actuary at, at Discovery, um, and they are going to, they're going to share the presentation uh, time. Uh, we have about half an hour for their session before we move on to the second one. Um, they've said that they'll try and wrap up in about 20 minutes, uh, which will leave us a, a decent amount of time for conversation. Thanks, Shivani. So this, um, this presentation is about the, uh, the journey more than the destination. Um, so I thought I'd start with a few questions. First of all, who thinks that NHI can work in South Africa? Excellent. Who knows what it is? <laughs> so this paper started from um, a few conversations we've had around um, health system delivery in different countries. And we found that there's no real perfect model, but rather learnings that we need to interpret um, from different countries. So our aim, our aim of this paper is to really put into context some of those learnings and to emphasize that we don't actually need to know precisely where we're going to end up with the NHI process, but rather to have a system for this journey with feedback loops so that we can make sure that we get the best solution for the South African um, context. So as I said, it's, a, it's more about the, uh, the pathway, the journey, than the destination. I'm going to start with a bit of a discussion around this elusive concept of universal health care that we seem to hear so much about and health systems. And then I'll lay a little bit of the groundwork in terms of the South African context because I'm aware that not everyone is deeply entrenched in these discussions. And then I'll look at some of the countries that um, we've included in the case studies and, and why we selected those particular uh, countries. And then Sarika's going to go through some of the, the learnings that we've elicited from the, the case studies and suggest how this gives rise to some suggestions about the pathway that we should be embarking on for South Africa. So universal healthcare, what is this? Um, and I think um, the more you read about it, the more you realize that it, it really is a very elusive um, concept. It's about extending essential healthcare services to everybody. So what are essential healthcare services and who is everybody? And that's why we start talking about this in the context of the height and the breadth and the depth of coverage. So when we talk about the breadth of coverage, we're talking about who is covered in terms of the, the proportion of the population, which of course again presupposes that you know who that population is. And then the depth in terms of what is covered, so what is the range of services, and we'll talk about that in the context of how a package of services um, is defined. And then height in terms of the proportion of cost that is covered on a pre-funded basis. So this is really looking at concepts like the level of out-of-pocket expenditure and how that affects people's access uh, to healthcare services. So when we're talking about um, healthcare systems, um, obviously, this is a, a very complex animal, the healthcare system, and, um, and, and no two systems are the same. They include, tend to include both the public and the private sector, and very often, particularly on this continent, an international um, component as well. So when we're looking at these different um, aspects, it's important that then we identify the learnings for South Africa. So that's really what has driven us in terms of selecting which parts of the healthcare systems um, we've considered. So in particular, we've looked at, um, at revenue collection, 
which is around how the health system is funded. Usually this is some combination of, um, of tax funding and, um, and that may be direct or indirect tax funding and also user funding, again directly or indirectly, at the point of service or as some kind of levy. One of the things to keep an eye on is out-of-pocket expenditure and that was one of the metrics that we looked at and I'll, I'll show you a graph of that a little bit later. And then pooling. Pooling is about how the funding is organized in terms of the, uh, the segments of the population that are, that are covered, the regional um, distribution and how that coverage happens, how any cross-subsidies are built into that system. And then the purchasing, which is about who, how and from whom the um, healthcare services are, are purchased. So there's a delivery aspect in there as well, which is about a mix of public and, and private healthcare service providers involved in both delivery and, um, uh, well, in delivery and the reimbursement mechanisms that, um, that are associated with, with purchasing those services. And of course, when we talk about reimbursement, then we obviously think about the incentives um, involved in those reimbursement mechanisms. But the ultimate aim of any healthcare system is, of course, delivery of quality healthcare services. And the key focus is, of course, addressing urgent needs and vulnerable groups. So what we need to look at is how we can get this done. So let's just talk a little bit about the South African um, context. Um, apologies to those who are very familiar with this, but just to make sure we're all on the same page. So, of course, we are spending around 8.5% of, um, of GDP on healthcare here in South Africa, and, um, and more than half of this is being spent in the private sector, which was one of our key challenges. So the first concrete proposals and outline of what NHI was going to look like came in the form of the Green Paper, which was released in August of 2011. And then this was followed by the White Paper, which was released in December of last year. So just a summary of the plans which are relevant to the discussion that we're trying to have today is, uh, first of all, the single fund um, structure covering all um, eligible South Africans, funding from a combination of tax sources, possibly direct funding with some very limited reliance on user fees. The benefit package hasn't been clearly defined, but it seems to be intended as being fairly um, comprehensive. And um, savings that can be achieved are through managing things like the, the level of care and, um, and the level at which care is delivered. But a multidisciplinary approach seems to be a key part of what, it, what is envisaged in terms of, um, in terms of the, the delivery. So we've selected four low-income and four high-income um, countries. Um, it wasn't a terribly scientific selection process, but more looking at the various discussion documents that have um, been a key part in the uh, NHI um, debate here in South Africa and, um, and identifying the countries that seem to be mentioned. We wanted to have a balance of the, the low-income and high-income countries so that we could get an insight into the range of approaches. So what we've looked at is some of the key successes and, and failures um, and assessing those in the context of their own population and economic contexts. And I think that's the, the key thing that, um, that we'd like you to, to look at when you're reading the paper is to make sure that you're taking in context things that have worked in other countries because it's not necessarily it's the same context that applies here in South Africa. So what we did to, to try and sort of cement that context was to identify some metrics so one of the metrics is, of course, um, health expenditure versus GDP. Um, those of you who hear me talk about this will know that I much prefer to 
consider this from a monetary amount rather than a percentage of GDP, which can be very uh, misleading. But you can see here when you look at the graph, hopefully you can read those countries on the axis, that there's quite a, um, a correlation uh, between health expenditure and GDP. But it's interesting that the UK seems to be a little bit um, out of line. Um, it also has the highest public health expenditure program so, or proportion, so that tells us something. You'll see also the PPP, which is the Purchasing Power Parity Adjustment. That's the one that's done by the uh, WHO. And um, it does give some indication of the relative expensiveness or inexpensiveness of healthcare um, in those countries. You'll also note that for South Africa, the PPP adjustment here is upward, which means that our services would be more costly if we were sort of purchasing them in an international free market. So another metric we've looked at is in terms of health outcomes, so not just about the money spent. So we've included some of the uh, Millennium Development Goals here in our, in our metrics. So you can see here life expectancy and, um, and the under five mortality rate. So sadly, the African countries are the ones that stand out when it comes to the under five um, mortality rate and also the lower life expectancy. And then in the paper, what we've done is included the change in these um, statistics from 1990 to 2013 so that you can see how, um, how changes and in interventions have affected the trends in these metrics. And then we've looked also at, um, at human healthcare resources. So this picture, of course, is a lot more volatile. It seems that our South American counterparts have relatively high doctor ratios for, um, for lower income countries. And Brazil, Brazil also has a higher uh, nurse ratio, as, um, as do we here in South Africa. Um, but there may be some definitional issues here. But in, it's interesting, um, nonetheless, in terms of, of looking at these patterns across the countries. So the challenge for us for this presentation was just to have a little bit of a snapshot of, um, of, our, um, of our analysis. So, of course, I do encourage you to, um, to read the paper, although I shouldn't be saying that. I should be assuming that you all have. Um, but there is a lot of detail in the, in the paper. So here, just to summarize a few of the, of the key metrics from the low-income countries. Um, on the benefit package, which is the, the first line in the table here, um, we'll see that it's only Brazil that offers a package that is not explicitly defined in terms of the, the services country, uh, covered. Of the other countries, um, Thailand doesn't uh, have an explicitly earmarked funding vehicle. If we look at the, the second line there, Ghana and Brazil, there is regional elements to the pooling. And, um, and also in Chile, a clear role for the private sector in the pooling. So we see a pattern emerging here in terms of, in terms of pooling and, um, and benefit package design. Um, but then the countries in terms of their purchasing are all tending to have some kind of mix of public and private um, sector participation in the, in the purchasing and the delivery of those healthcare services, but certainly to varying extents. And, um, and that variation you will see in the paper is largely driven from the history or the historical um, position of, the, of those countries in terms of the, where the healthcare sector came from. The financing um, methods, if we also, if we go down to, where are we now, the third line there on the, uh, sorry, the fourth line on the, on the table, 
um, also vary quite considerably. Ghana includes a direct levy to their NHI fund, um, and Thailand is at the other extreme where they have everything funded from central fiscus. And then we have the role of the uh, voluntary private health insurance, that's that acronym at the bottom there. In Brazil, there is some opting out, but only at um, very high income levels, where in other countries there does tend to be some kind of complementary role, um, recognizing the need for cross-subsidies in terms of those who can afford to fund to some extent um, for their own healthcare needs. So that it really is quite a brief summary, but it's interesting how this um, leads to this comparison of out-of-pocket expenditure, and I think this is certainly something that we need to keep an eye on as, um, as we move forward on our pathway to NHI. So when you look at this um, comparison in terms of out-of-pocket and insurance expenditure, you'll see that South Africa currently has a low out-of-pocket expenditure, so we certainly need to work hard to preserve this, but our high levels of private health insurance expenditure which really suggests that the transition to NHI needs to take this into account. Remembering, of course, that this um, private health expenditure tends to be after, uh, funded out of after-tax income on a voluntary basis. So it certainly suggests that there's a, an, an opportunity to create some kind of mixed um, pooling structure which will allow us to take advantage of some of the cross-subsidy um, as, as some of those countries have experienced. So now I'm going to hand over to Sarika, who's going to take us through some of the key learnings. Thank you, Roseanne. So um, from our high-income countries, we saw that despite the significant expenditure on healthcare, the demand, there was still unmet demand. And this was because the demand for healthcare is somewhat infinite. This is exacerbated by the third-party pay-up conundrum, where patients are insensitive to, to price. In the, in the um, UK and, Can and Canadian healthcare systems, we saw the systems were characterized by long waiting lists for elective surgery. Even the well-resourced French and Dutch healthcare systems had some degree of rationing. This infinite demand for healthcare thus renders U UHC impossible, and that is why Roseanne said earlier that the pathway to NHI or UH UHC is important as we're likely to remain on this path for a very long time. From the low-income countries, we saw that a trade-off is inevitable between the population covered and the depth of the benefit package due to resource constraints. Brazil and Ghana, for example, chose to offer a universal package to the entire population. This had challenges in terms of accessibility, and it was also seen that it was the higher-income populations that were able to derive the maximum benefit from these public systems. Chile and Thailand, on the other hand, decided on focusing on the most vulnerable populations. With this method, Thailand was able to offer a very comprehensive package of care to the most vulnerable, while in Chile they were able to provide their, their most vulnerable with an explicit set of guarantees to certain services, for example, maximum waiting times for certain services. So we suggest, using these le learnings, that the NHI in South Africa focuses on the most vulnerable, as this will optimize our scarce resources. So once we've defined the, the population to be covered, we can then define the extent of the benefit package based on our cost constraints. As Roseanne mentioned earlier, we have a choice between either explicitly defining our benefit package, as in our current private sector where we've got our set list of PMBs, or implicitly defining our benefit package, such as our public sector. In Brazil, they chose to implicitly define their benefit package, but this had implications in terms of cost containment, as providers were able to offer new and expensive, new and expensive services under the umbrella of NHI. 
of UHC. However, in Chile, on the other hand, their explicit benefit package enabled them to contain costs. It also enabled them to incrementally increase their benefit package as resources into the sector improved. We also learned from Chile that community participation in designing the benefit package was important to ensure social acceptability of the benefit package. With regards to the delivery, the key theme running through all the countries observed was the theme of decentralization. The main advantage of decentralization is that it brings end users closer to the system itself. So we saw in Brazil that they've made significant improvements in their health outcomes, and this was attributable to their highly decentralized primary care model. In Ghana, on the other hand, they had a very centralized administration system, and this has led to a lot of administrative challenges, and they're now moving towards decentralizing the system. The experience from Thailand showed us that additional capacity um, requirements should not be underestimated. Otherwise, this could lead to delayed and sporadic implementation of decentralization. Even in high-income countries such as the UK, they've had challenges with decentralization, and the implementation has, of decentralization has led to regional variation in um, quality and accessibility. That brings me to my second point, which is the importance of a quality assurance authority to police the quality of care um, across the system and to provide a minimum standard of care. Private sector contracting can enhance competition within the delivery sphere. However, private providers must be adequately incentivized to participate. So, for example, in Thailand, we saw that private providers were deterred from the system due to low reimbursement rates. Similarly, in Ghana, the administrative inefficiencies also deterred a lot of private providers. With regards to pooling, we have a choice between the traditional single funder or the multi-payer multi, um, um, models. The, the single-payer models seem to be quite inefficient, as there's absolutely no incentive for, for innovation. However, the market-orientated Dutch healthcare system didn't guarantee efficiency either, and this is one of the countries with the highest cost increases. Um, what was really interesting was the innovative designs in, the, in, the, uh, in France or in Thailand where they had distinct pools catering for distinct populations. This has the, the very apparent disadvantage of the inequalities that may result over time. And we see now in Thailand, now that they're trying to integrate these distinct pool, pools, it's being met with resistance um, from those receiving richer benefits. So the healthcare reform will require additional finance, and we saw this across the, the, the countries observed. Um, we saw in the lower-income countries, particularly Brazil, um, Chile, and, and, and Ghana, that there's a high reliance on out-of-pocket expenditure, with almost a third of healthcare expenditure being funded out-of-pocket. Um, and as Roseanne mentioned earlier, we've got really one of the lowest out-of-pocket expenditures in the world, and this, this needs to be contained within the NHI environment. And the high-income countries, they're now grappling with containing these costs of, an, of their universal health systems, and, and this is where all efforts in, in um, their healthcare systems are, are um, focused on, is containing these ballooning costs. Our white paper, our NHI white paper, suggests five permutations of increasing tax. Um, for funding the NHI. We suggest that any tax increases should be progressive, but it should also have a minimal impact on employment. So now onto the uh, contentious role of voluntary private health insurance. Um, from all the countries observed, uh, the lower income countries observed, with the exception of Thailand, um, the demand for private health insurance is inevitable. And that's just because of capacity constraints of the um, 
public health systems. But we think that um, the, pub the private sector should be designed in such a way that it actually complements the public sector. So in that there should be income cost subsidies between um, the rich and the poor. And we should also have um, the public sector focusing on, um, focusing on the poor. So how do we wrap this up and take it, take it to the way forward? So as we heard earlier, the pathway to, to UHC is very important, um, as we're likely to be on this pathway for a long time. Um, while finance is important, infrastructure can sometimes be more important, as we saw in Thailand, because you can have all the money in the world, but without ambulances and roads and hospitals, money itself is fruitless. And as we transition as a country towards um, UHC, we should focus on unlocking efficiencies in both the public and the private sectors. Uh, we believe that the public sector should focus its efforts on becoming an attractive or the most attractive um, employer for, for health professionals, while the private sector should focus on improving efficiencies in care delivery, even on the funding side with, with things such as the lo uh, low-income medical scheme products. The employment of doctors will also help alleviate some of the inefficiencies on the private sector. Our Office of Health Standards and Compliance should be empowered to effectively police quality of health care in both the public and the private sectors, thus lifting the quality of care in in, across the health care system. And we believe that these little, these little um, strategies will actually do a great deal in, in improving the health care for all, all South Africans and reducing the, 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 the gross inequality that exists. And this will be a milestone towards UHC. Thank you. Thank you, Roseanne and uh, Sarika. Um, so I have read uh, their paper, um, and I think, uh, and also work in the space, I think appreciate uh, the amount of work that went into it, uh, reviewing the number of countries that they did, but also um, the complexity of the issues that you put on the table. So, so dense and complex ideas, um, and I'm sure lots of uh, questions that, or, or issues that people would like to engage with. So. Um, Anybody on the floor? Uh, thank you for your presentation. Uh, I'm one of the guilty ones who haven't read the paper, so my question might be covered in the paper. But uh, it relates to a comparison of the facilities in these countries. Have you done, is there a comparison of how many health facilities there are in each of these countries and how South Africa compares? Thanks, Charlton. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yes, in terms of the facilities, what we did was we, we focused in terms of the human resources rather than the facilities themselves. So the metric that we looked at when we compared um, the countries was, was just looking at doctors and, um, and nurses really to get an indication of that. Um, but the other area where it came in in the paper was when it, uh, when it came to the purchasing in terms of, um, of delivery, and particularly on the hospital side, the balance between public and private um, ownership of the hospitals across the different um, countries. And it was quite interesting that in some countries there was quite a regional disparity in, in that, which is, which is obviously something that, you know, that is an issue for us here in, in South Africa. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the nice presentations. Uh, something that I um, think we can spend more time on um, is the whole discussion or the concept of rationing. Um, what we see across the world is that the more you improve your healthcare delivery system, the more your um, longevity uh, mm. issue comes into play. 
and then obviously um, diseases that's age-related becomes more prevalent in your population and thereby um, your system gets saturated again. So it uh, comes to the a point made that the demand for healthcare is infinite. So we actually need to play a strong role um, to actually provide guidance and uh, advice on ways to ration in a way that's fair and enhances efficiency. Um, I think it might be worthwhile when we compare um, the developed countries with, that have more money to throw at their healthcare systems versus um, third world countries or developing countries, uh, we can look at that dynamic as well. Thanks, Carol. I think that's a very valid point. I mean, it, we, we often talk about the Sisyphus syndrome, um, which is where you know your success then generates new problems, um, and and I guess that's with with longevity, but even with broadening access to to healthcare service because you create expectations, and I think that's also one of the challenges that we identified, which is why it seems that an incremental approach to how the package of services is defined is appropriate because it helps you to manage those expectations along the way. I, I, can I ask a follow and uh, abuse my privilege as the, as the chair? Um, so I guess one of the difficulties we have in South Africa is that the current offering, whilst not always actualized, but the current promise of care in our public sector is pretty wide open. So, I mean, is it really feasible to go with a package that is smaller than that sort of implicit promise that currently exists? Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, to me, it, it's not that it has to be smaller, it's just that it has to be effective. Mm. Um, and, and, so, and, the, and the delivery there is, is as, as Sarika said, it's not actually about money, it's about the people. It's about the people delivering the care and, um, and how they're organized and how they're motivated in terms of making sure that it's effectively delivered. It's just, we could, we could think of something similar to the Chile system. So you, even if you have a smaller benefit package, then you could guarantee that benefit package. So for example, now, although we have clinics, there's no guarantee to anything there. But we could say, well, under the NHI, everyone will be guaranteed to see a GP within two or three days. So that'll do a lot more in terms of empowerment for, for um, the most vulnerable, at least. Any last questions before we move on to the next speaker? Yes, we've got one there. Hi, guys. I enjoyed your paper. Um, in terms of uh, we were talking about the, the pathway, and I guess our pathway pre-Polokwane was social health insurance first and then going into the universal health care. I don't know if there was any lessons in the countries you were looking at that were looking to cover in terms of breadth, um, a smaller um, group first before going the, the Big Bang approach, or if there was any similar lessons there. I think it was Thailand. Thailand was actually one of the countries, and they said they've actually started with their, their UHC scheme since 1978, and they started with small incremental schemes. So the first one was targeted at, at the, the, poor, the poorest and the most vulnerable. And now it seems, if you look at it today, that, that Thailand introduced universal health coverage in a big bang approach, because now they've integrated a lot of these smaller schemes. But in Thailand, if we look very carefully, they started very incrementally with the smallest and most vulnerable, and now they've successfully managed to cover the entire population. And they do it for like very little in terms of monetary basis. But Thailand's very unique because they've got also they've also got very low expectations, I think, of their of their healthcare system. And it's just a very different culture um, as well. 
so they don't believe in, in buying private care or, or skipping the queues and that. So those cultural differences will also make a big impact on difference in South Africa. Okay, I think we'll close there. Um, oh, sorry, Rosanne, did you want to? Sorry. Okay, we'll close there and hand over to Neil, conscious of eating into his, into his time. Thank you again, both of you.